Welcome to Radical Simple Living Podcast, episode 23. Now, I don't know how many of you have got young children, have got young children in your home at the moment. If you haven't, you can probably remember when you were a young child yourself, if you've got a good memory, or you may have recent experience of children, grandchildren, nephews and nieces, other children you come up against. For all I know, you run a nursery there and have got uh, young children up to the ceiling and uh, get lots of interaction with them. And one of the most delightful things about having young children around, and there's lots of wonderful things about it, uh, young children are quite wonderful, is that they pick up words and we assume that they pick up words that are fairly simple in their meaning. Now there must be, if you've got all the parents and grandparents together and said, right, list down the first hundred English speaking. I apologise to all those non-native English speakers, but they could come up with a list of their own. Ask them to write down the first hundred words that their child learned. And obviously there'd be ones like mummy, daddy, and dog, cat, perhaps the names of individual pets, perhaps the names of aunts and uncles, perhaps the names of big sisters and brothers. But there's one word that would come in your top hundred, and that's the word happy. The word happy. Because it is such a childish word, isn't it? Oh, you don't look very happy, we say to somebody. And we're really trying to extract some very simple information from people. Are you happy or not? But the older you get, the more complex that word becomes and the harder to define it becomes. So a two-year-old knows very well what happy is. I hope they do. I hope two-year-olds are happy a lot of the time. A 20-year-old might have a bit more pause for thought about happiness. And, you know, by the time you reach middle age, even into old age, you might question the word happy and spend a long time thinking about it. And if you're asked to define it, you can only define it in the way that describes things that make you happy. So if you say to somebody, what makes you happy, they can tell you. If you say to somebody, can you define the word happy? Uh, they have quite a bit of difficulty. If you know somebody that hasn't listened to this podcast, it, you might have a problem finding somebody that hasn't listened to these podcasts because they're so popular. I, I'm joking. But if you do, ask them to define happiness. And you'll probably find them either not taking it very seriously as a question, or if they do take it seriously, having quite a job answering that point. Now, today's podcast is posing the question, and more than most podcasts, they're fairly open-ended questions that I, I cast around here, but is it possible that living a simple life can make you happier? Well, that's a pretty big question, isn't it? Happier, not happy, I said. Um, so you might be very happy to start with, in which case the question might be, will simple living stop me being so happy? Um, 
I don't know. So to start off with, I want to spend a bit of time discussing what we mean by the word happiness. Now, I've got a couple of quotes here. As you know, I use quotes liberally as I use pictures fairly happily because I think a picture is something that just flashes an image onto your brain and gives you time to think about it. And a quote does the same thing, but in words. So, as I've said before, don't worry if they're out of context. I hope they are out of context because that helps us think about them in isolation of what's being said. And maybe that makes the quote more pointed and makes the information that's in the quote more easily accessible to us. This is a quote from Virginia Woolf, of whom I am an enormous fan, I must admit. And she says this, I can only note that the past is beautiful because one never realises an emotion at the time. It expands later, and thus we don't have complete emotions about the present and only about the past. End of quote. Now that doesn't mention the word happiness, but it does mention uh, emotions, and happiness is an emotion. And maybe if you ask people what was the happiest time in your life, they'll tell you. And then if you add to that, were you aware that you were happy then? They'll probably say no. One of the reasons is because maybe they were too busy. Maybe they were too busy doing whatever they were doing to realise that they were happy. Uh, new parents have really an incredibly difficult job with young children. I know vast numbers of people bring up young children and I know most people come through it unscathed but it's quite a change. At one minute you're carefree childless people and then you've got a child and all of a sudden the entire focus of your life changes. You lose sleep, you lose rest, you're constantly worried and all these things happen but Many people, when they look back on their lives, say, when was I happiest? When the children were little. They, didn't, they weren't aware of it at the time, but they are aware of it looking back. So one of the ideas I'd like to throw up at the beginning of uh, our discussion is the idea that we can very rarely, perhaps once or twice in our lifetime, be aware that we are happy. Most of the time, happiness is retrospective. Say, so, oh, looking back at it now, I realise I was very happy at university or I was very happy at school. And we can also do that negatively. Looking back now, I only now realise how unhappy I was when I worked for so-and-so, when I was writing this, when I was doing that, when I was living here, when I was living there. So happiness and its bedfellow unhappiness are both these things we see in the past. Now, I thought about that. I've known that quote for a good many years, and I, I think it's true. And um, here's another one. This one is from Eve Balfour. And if you don't know who Eve Balfour was, she was a very remarkable woman who wrote a book called soil or was it called the soil but it's basically the whole foundation of organic farming 
she came to the realisation that if we keep throwing toxic material into soil, that toxic material is going to poison the soil, it's going to poison the food, it's going to poison us. And she started a movement which became the Soil Association in the UK and the function of that uh, organisation was to improve the quality of the soil and it led to what we would call in most parts of the world the organic food movement. Uh, in some other parts of the world it's known as the eco-food movement but there we go, you know what I mean if I'm talking about that. And she says this, incidentally if you do want to read her book which I'm convinced is called The Soil um, it's full of all sorts of things. Here's what she says. It is important to remember that happiness is a byproduct. It is, moreover, a byproduct of activity, not of ease. It cannot be found ready-made, nor can it be fashioned out of those things usually covered by the term higher standard of living. Material comfort, more leisure, more money, more gadgets. Important as these are, they are static things. Happiness, which must not be confused with pleasure, results only from those activities which develop personality and character. End of quote. Eve Balfour. She did, incidentally, have some sort of aristocratic title, like Baroness Balfour or somewhere, but I can't remember what those things are, and as I don't care much for titles, I'm not going to go to the trouble to find out. But she's drawing a distinction there between pleasure and happiness. And she realised pleasure can quite easily come from something that you want, that you eventually get, whereas happiness is not so easily purchased. For instance, if there's something you've been wanting for a long, long time, maybe something small like a book or maybe something big, uh, something that you've wanted, that you think will make your life better, it will give you lots of pleasure. But it won't make you happy because happiness cannot be purchased. You might think you feel happy, but part of that happiness isn't getting the thing. It's the joy of having attained some goal in getting it. The real thing itself may or may not make you happy. We'll come back to that later on. I've got one more quote for now. And this comes from Robertson Davis, a wonderful Canadian author who's no longer with us. If you're interested in quotes, I do a blog all about quotes when I, when I keep it up called Hey Quaker, which is vast numbers of quotes on all sorts of things. So you might like to check that out. Um, here's what Robertson Davis says. Happiness is always a byproduct. It is probably a matter of temperament, and for anything I know, it may be glandular. But it is not something that can be demanded from life, and if you are not happy, you'd better stop worrying about it and see what treasures you can pluck from your own particular brand of unhappiness. Wow, that's Robertson Davis. Now, he too is coming to this idea that you can't actually attain happiness but what you can do is uh, try and find things that, 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 that give you some pleasure and work towards it. Okay now I, I'm going to get a bit more specific now and I'm going to give you 
my definition of happiness and then I'm going to try and relate it to simple living in general. Now this is my definition that happiness isn't one thing. Happiness is two things that come together. So happiness is a compound emotion. And one of the emotions that make up happiness is contentment. Contentment means feeling reasonably good about your lot. Now, a lot of people feel happy. You might think, oh, it's wonderful. I live in a house I like. I do a job I like. I've got a partner that I like and my partner likes me. And you might sit back on a number nine bus going to work one morning or driving your car or digging your garden. And you might sit back and think, yeah, these things are really good. What you're really doing is something called counting your blessings, isn't it? There's lots of songs from 1920s America about counting your blessings in the Great Depression. And counting your, blessing is, counting your blessings is one way to get contentment by thinking about those things in your life that are good. Now, of course, there are going to be things in your life that aren't good. There's going to be jobs you don't like. There's going to be relationships that aren't working out well. There's going to be bad weather. Maybe that number nine bus is late and you don't get to work on time. There's all kinds of things working against this sense of contentment. But there's an awful lot of people that can say, more or less, I'm content a lot of the time. And if you are one of those people, I think you're on the first footsteps to happiness. Contentment. The other components of happiness is joy. Now, joy is just a feeling of wonderful, overwhelming pleasure. Overwhelming pleasure at something or nothing. And joy can come to you in unexpected places. You can hit joy. You can be a C.S. Lewis, surprised by joy. Joy is something that is there. And people get joy from all kinds of things. Some people get joy from the arts. They get joy from music or painting or reading. They might get joy from a sport. They might get joy from playing rugby or joy from playing baseball or whatever of these things. It doesn't matter. Joy is one of these things which means really intense pleasure. And you can probably measure joy by looking at the neurotransmitters flitting around in somebody's brain or gut at the time and say oh there's a so a scientist analyzing the neurotransmitter output will say whoa this person's suffering real joy joy in itself isn't happiness but joy is a component of happiness so i think what you need to do is to try and be more content with your life and simple living can help a lot with that and two get more joy in your life and so a little bit later on, we're going to talk about how to improve the amount of contentment in your life and how to improve the amount of joy in your life. And if you are a content person that suffers spontaneous bursts of joy on a regular basis, I think you're a happy person. That's how I'm going to define it. As somebody experience a contented person experiencing joy. Now... Before I go on to talk about how simple living can do that, let's talk about a few 
bad things, if you like. One of them is a lot of people come across false ways of getting joy. Now, when I say false, I mean I don't think they're getting joy out of anything spontaneous or joy out of anything engineered. They're getting joy by an artificial method. In other words, there is something else in their life which is giving them the same neurotransmitters as joy, but it is not joy. And it can never be because it's fake. I'm talking about people who feel that by using heroin, they're suffering great bouts of joy. Well, they're boosting those neurotransmitters, but it's not joy, it's an artificial kind of joy. And an artificial joy isn't the real thing. It's so much different than the real thing because it's artificial. It's being induced in you by a chemical substance. And we know that's why heroin is so addictive, because to start off with, people get this enormous, you know, let's give it a, a, a fancy medical name. Let's call it euphoria. People get euphoria when they use the drug. They keep thinking about this euphoria, this euphoric state they're in. They want to experience it again, so they take the drug again. And eventually they become addicted to the drug, and then something terrible happens to the biochemistry of their body where the heroin no longer gives you that uh, euphoria. But if you don't take the heroin, you can't feel normal. You just feel terrible and awful. You are in the grips of addiction. And as I've said before in other podcasts, once upon a time we thought it was only drugs that got us addicted, but we know there's other things. Gambling can be addictive. Pornography can be addictive. Shopping can become addictive. And we all know, all of us that are addicted to any one of those things know that it's that burst of neurotransmitters that we get, but it isn't real. It's not sustainable. You can't shop and take your credit card out and buy lots of things and feel great about it without there being some comeback. And that comeback is that uh, you're going to spend all your money and be in debt for the rest of your life. You can't use pornography all the time because what it's going to do is alter the chances of you experiencing real relationships with real other people that are going to be so much more satisfying than something you're watching on a screen. Gambling can get you money, but we know that the long-term nature of gambling is that it loses money. That's why bookmakers are so rich. That's why casino owners are so rich, because people lose more money than they ever win. But it's that joy of winning, that euphoria of winning that they're after. Now, rather than fill your life with these artificial forms of joy, let's call it joy in speech marks, it will be better to fill your life with real joy. So again, we come back to that thing that we've got to find a way of getting more joy in our life. One more negative we want to mention. There's not an opposite of joy, is there? Maybe it's misery, but you can't say anti-joy. How do you feel to see somebody? I feel anti-joyous. Um, it doesn't work. It's linguistically not right. But we do have a negative word, so happy. And again, it's a word that children learn very on in life, and that is unhappy. 
Now, although we may have a job defining happiness, we can all readily define unhappiness really simply. So, if you think of it as a big scale, with happy at one end and unhappy on the other, the axiomatic truth of that is that if you stop the things that make you unhappy, you're going to be moving along that scale towards things that make you happy. Okay? You might not ever reach the halfway point between unhappiness and happiness, but you're going to be less unhappy, and less unhappy is helping you towards that goal of happiness. So one of the first things you can do in simple living is to try and eliminate from your life things that make you unhappy. Now, a lot of the things that we do to ourselves that make us unhappy, you know, if you're trying to lose weight and you suddenly go out and eat vast numbers of, I don't know, um, Mars bars for UK listeners or Hershey bars in the US or, or something like that, after you've eaten it, you get that little, remember that's addictive stuff, chocolate, you get that little burst of artificial joy, but then you feel unhappy with yourself because you said, well, I said I was going to limit myself to X bars of so-and-so a week and now I've had Y bars and I want more. So sometimes doing things that you have told yourself you don't want to can make you unhappy. You tell yourself, that you're going to cut down on buying certain things and then you go out and buy lots of them. That's going to make you unhappy. You have told yourself that you're going to grow vegetables this year and get out and dig in the garden and rake and sow. And then you find yourself suddenly at the end of April, early May, and you realise you haven't done any of those things. And how do you feel? Unhappy. So we feel unhappy, A, when we let ourselves down, when we set ourselves goals and we don't reach those goals. We can also make ourselves unhappy when we realise we've let other people down. If we promised a friend or we promised a child or we promised our parent we'll do something with them or for them and we don't do it. And then we realise we haven't done it and we feel unhappy with ourselves. So unhappiness is things we do to ourselves, but it's also regret about things we did to other people. I was going to use that word chagrin, where we feel this sort of regret. Uh, I want to come on to those other emotions that the English have no word for a little bit later on. Chagrin is one of them. There's no English word that quite has the same meaning, I don't think. Rue is a similar one. Um, they're nice words. Okay, so we can stop artificial joy. We can move the balance away from unhappiness in a hope to give ourselves more real joy and to hope to move ourselves towards there. Now, we, we want to come back to this contentment thing again. Because I think contentment is a very easy thing to get a grip on. I'm going to make myself content by putting a log on the fire. Back in just a moment. There, with the joys of Paul's button editing, I can put a log on the fire and you didn't even know I'd been away. Now, one of the ways 
that you can be helped by simple living is one of the most important things about it is slowing down. You know, if you're rushing to do sales figures, if you're rushing to deliver things, if you're rushing to see patients, if you're rushing to teach children, if you're doing all these things, your schedule is being dictated by the timetable, by the course of the day. It's being dictated by what's happening to you. But when you start simple living, because you're doing more things for yourself, you're being more self-sufficient, you can slow down. If I'm gardening, um, one of the constraints on me is when it gets dark and I have to stop. Uh, but as spring turns into summer, and here in Sweden the days get very long, that's no longer there. You can take your time, you can do things slowly. And doing things more slowly can make you more aware of how your body is responding to things. You can stop and say, do you know I'm really enjoying doing this? Or you can say to yourself, I've been putting off this job, but now I'm doing it, it's actually a lot of fun. And I think it's good and I'm enjoying it. You can only do those things if you're working slowly, otherwise they become one of those Virginia Woolf emotions that you look back on and think, oh, I was happy planting those turnip seeds or something like that. So slowing down can help you recognise what is happening and that can help you get in touch with your own level of contentment. The other way simple living can help with this is this idea of a sense of purpose, a sense of purpose. Now, we all had a sense of purpose at one time, but sometimes those things get lost because we end up having so many things to do that we know there's no end point to them. If you can remember as a child the first time you got to do one of these simple household tasks, like your parent asked you to help cook a meal, or a parent asks you to help do something in the garden, or your parent says, oh, you're old enough to clean out the guinea pigs on your own. What you had was an incredible sense of purpose there, didn't you? And you did it and you took joy in doing it and you were careful doing it because you knew the end product. There were two end products. One was having a clean guinea pig cage, which is always good. Guinea pigs love having a clean cage. If you've got guinea pigs, go and clean them out now and give them a treat. Um, so there's that sense of purpose. But there was also that sense of purpose in your parent coming and saying, well done. You did that really well. I'm so pleased. They might even give you a treat, mightn't they? But as you get older, things become more complicated with that sense of purpose. Partly because we're rushing from one job to the next. And partly because there's no one to tell us well done. If you, as an adult, tidy up your kitchen, something I'm going to do after this podcast, nobody comes and says, Oh, that's really looking lovely. It's, it's, it's a lovely looking kitchen and you've done a wonderful job on cleaning it. Well done. That's really good. Nobody's going to do that to me. Nobody's going to do it to you next time you do it either. So our sense of purpose in achieving a clean kitchen only pleases us. So what we've got to do as a way of restoring that sense of purpose is try and finish things and try and take a little bit of time to look at what we've done and congratulate ourselves. Say, yeah, 
I've dug that garden, I've cleaned that kitchen, I've got those children bathed and ready for bed and tucked up, I've fed those cats. You know, it, it doesn't matter what you are, but that sense of purpose. This is what I've got to do and I'm going to do it. And one of the best things you can say to yourself, and some people say this in a moany kind of miserable way, is there anybody moany and miserable out there listening? No, I didn't think so. But some people say, oh, you know, that's that over with and I've got that done. And, I, and that's not the way to do it. The real thing you have to do is take, use an old-fashioned word pride, take a bit of pride in what you're doing, congratulate yourself on what you've achieved. Um, but you've got to have this sense of purpose of wanting to do it and to do it well. It's very, very important. Um, okay, so contentment comes by slowing down. Contentment comes by taking a pride in what you're doing. Contentment comes in recognising that you are the only person going to do these jobs and you're going to do them so well that you're going to be proud of yourself. That's really important. It's a really important part of simple living. And if you want to make your life more simple tomorrow, start doing that. A little bit of Zen, if you like, in everything you do so you feel that you're doing it really well. Now, the other thing is how to get joy into your life. Now, this is, is quite a difficult one because joy to one person is not to another. Some people's idea of joy is jumping into an ice-cold stream in the winter and swimming and splashing about. To other people, that's their idea of awful. So you've got to find out what gives you joy. Now, creativity comes here. I've said before, you can't live a simple life without a degree of creativity in it because you're a human and humans need to be creative. And if you meet anybody, it doesn't take long in talking to them to find out that we're all creative in one way or another. It might be something that everybody recognises as being creative. You might be able to play the harp or you might be able to sing a... An aria, you might be able to play football like nobody else on the planet. You may, you may be able to do loads of wonderful, wonderful things, but sometimes it's, it's something less impressive to other people. You might be happy with how you do your needlework. You might be happy with how you cook a meal. You might be happy with how you grow nice cucumbers in the summer. But above all, you've got to look at those. And if you achieve the little goals you set yourself to do these things, you will get joy. Joy could be riding a horse. Joy could be almost anything you care to think of. Hopefully, you can try and get real joy from things, not that artificial joy that comes from addictions. But real joy comes from doing something you want to do and doing it quite well. So if there is something you want to do in your life, but you don't do it, start doing it. Simple living is about realising that we all have needs and doing something to help those along. If you've got a musical instrument that's been locked up in a cupboard for two decades, take it out and see if you can get as much joy out of playing it as you used to. If you're a religious person or belong to some religious community of some kind, it could be anything. If it brings you joy to be part of that community, and if it brings you joy to worship with that community, do it. If it gets you joy to meet 
up with an old friend, meet up with that old friend. Do things to increase your joy. And this is my prediction. If you work hard at making yourself more content by counting your blessings and by slowing down how you do things, and you attempt to get joy by finding those things in life that you really want to do and carving out the time to do them, then you are well on that road to happiness. And maybe when you come to people say, are you a happy person? You'll say, yeah, I think I am. That's not a promise. Maybe you won't be, but I hope so. I hope you can be happy. And if you're not happy, I hope you can be happier than you might think about at the moment, because all of us can work towards that. And as a final passing note, we also have within us the great capacity to make other people happy. And maybe the third key to happiness is to try and bring it to others. And in doing so, we might get a little bit back in return. I hope so. Thank you for listening. Um, if you haven't listened to all of the uh, wonderful podcasts that I've been putting out over the past few months, do explore the back catalogue. They look at all aspects of simple living from growing and cooking to living and getting on with people. All these things are important. Um, do like the podcast, do leave comments, do tell your friends about it. And I'm looking forward already to talking with you next time. Bye for now.